Welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. It is January 3rd, 2023. So a New Year edition of the podcast. We're going to talk about the last week of games for the Ducks, some possible moves that the Ducks could make, some potential future moves that they can make on top of what's coming up here on the, the waiver wire. So Jake, happy new year to you. Happy new year. It's As you try to figure out potential audio issues. No, it's not an audio issue. It's there. There's no actual issue. It's just something weird on my end that. Okay. Pauses okay. things up. Very good. Very good. Well, your new year. Yes. Let, it's let's a new hear it. Uh, it's a new year. First new years with a baby, which meant we sat down and watched movies as he slept and then went to bed and that was it yeah well that sounds amazing yeah that that sounds like a great time yeah how about you i uh drove out to the mountainous regions of northern california stayed in a a hotel which was actually more like a timeshare basically with a group of friends had the entire hotel quote unquote to ourselves Mm -hmm. so it was pretty cool can't complain got to see some snow yeah, it dumped there this weekend, didn't it? Yeah, I, I drove up there um, Friday night, basically, or Friday afternoon. And let me just put this out there. Driving through windy mountain roads in the dark when it's basically horizontal raining, not fun. Not fun. Yeah. Bas- basically, every time there's an oncoming car, I just you know put up a little prayer because that's <laughs> I'm basically just looking at the lane lines hoping that I don't get smashed into and then I'm going well, the correct way. Well, you survived, you made it through, you made it through those windy roads and you're back here and ready to talk about a wonderful Ducks week, right? Yeah, I will also say this. New Year's Eve drank a lot of alcohol and was a nice reminder of why I don't drink that often. Yeah. <laughs> so, with all that being said, the Ducks the Ducks made, I think, a lot of people want to drink alcohol with the last the last few games. Yeah. It was a rough week. I mean, there's there's really no other way to put it after after what felt again, and this is going back a couple episodes now, but after what felt like the Ducks were maybe starting to quote unquote turn some kind of corner. It feels like they've turned back the other way. Where they're, they're I mean, they did win a game this week, I should point out. Yeah. But they lost big against Nashville. They lost big against Philly, although you know, we can talk about that game and how maybe the score was not so indicative, but it just it's starting to feel again like the process is not necessarily going in the right direction. Yeah, and even when the process is somewhat going in the right direction, there's fatal flaws on the <laughs> other end of it, and it's against a te- against teams that quite frankly, the process should be really like extremely good against. And right. I think that that's kind of a major issue, but yeah, it kind of, it was a weird week because the game against Vegas was one where sure they won it in, uh, in overtime, but that was potentially the worst game of this, of the week for the ducks. Honestly. Right. I mean, they, and, they won that game, but they gave up, what was it? 50 or sorry. They shots? won the game. They won the game in the shootout, not in overtime. Right. They but, won in yeah, a shootout. They, and they, they needed, they needed John Gibson to be a, a superhero. They needed an Adam Henrique slap shot goal from the blue line. <laughs> Like, yeah, a lot of things went right for the team in that game that weren't necessarily process related. Yeah. And so that game also that so not to bury the lead too much, but this was John Gibson's return to the lineup after not playing. I think it was December 13th against yep. the Toronto Maple Leafs in Toronto. He played two periods of that game left. And then basically Lucas Dostal had the rain or just all had the rain from there on out. And um, 
pretty much John Gibson looked like he had returned into his very strong form in that that Vegas game. I mean, shocker for anyone out there listening, right? But I mean, John Gibson is very good when he has rest. Like this is what we've talked about ad nauseum is that John Gibson is has been ran into the ground. Um, part of it sounds like is his own doing where he constantly is telling the coaching staff that he wants to be in every single game. Um, and he shouldn't be at this point in time. That's not what, what he needs. That's not where he's at his best. And that's on the coaching staff to, to identify that because this was a vintage John Gibson performance where he was controlled. He wasn't over committing, but he was still able to use his athleticism to his advantage. And there were a couple of absolutely fantastic saves in this game that kept the ducks in it as they were basically being completely bombarded by Vegas. And, I mean, that's what Gibson did for years and years and years to get him in this conversation of being elite. And the issue is, is that these games happen, but they're few and far between. Yeah, I I think that that's a great way to put it is that John Gibson looked phenomenal in this game. He made 49 saves and he made some some really some, some saves that were like you said that they I thought that this was some of his most controlled hockey that we've seen where, yes, there were some spectacular saves, but even some of the more noteworthy saves, some of the more highlight reel saves were still saves where he wasn't completely overcommitted or it wasn't complete desperation. And it was really encouraging to see because the Ducks completely left him out to dry. And so that, of course, reopened this discussion of, well, if if you give maybe John Gibson a bit more rest, what can he accomplish? And I mean, we saw it in this game. Like, I don't think that you can expect that every game, but he's got that in his in his back pocket. And especially with Lucas Dostal playing the way he had going into Gibson returning, you would think that the Ducks would maybe start to see, hey, maybe it would make more sense to rest Gibson more often. And yet the opposite has happened where he played every game this week. And really since that game has looked, I mean, particularly against Philly yesterday, allowed a horrific goal, a a long range wrist shot with no traffic in front and just generally was not really a factor in that game. So I guess that kind of begs the question now, who who bears responsibility for this kind of overuse of John Gibson? Because I don't think you can blame Bob Murray anymore, right? Like that, no, that ship no, no, has no. sailed. We're now firmly into the Pat Verbeek era, and yet this this trend is still holding. Yeah, and I don't – and the weird thing is, is that I don't know why you had the necessity to start John Gibson against Nashville, for instance. And I think a key thing to, to kind of mention here is that I don't think – Lucas Dostal would have won them that game against Nashville. Um, I think that they were on the worst side of things um, uh, in that game, and they got outplayed. But I don't think that John Gibson's play did them any favors in that game either. And you right. look at uh, you look at some of the numbers throughout that game, and I'll get them up in a second. But, I mean, he allowed, what was it, four or five goals um, throughout that game. And right. Um, expect goals were nowhere near that. And this is a, an issue for the, for John Gibson. And this is, I, I think that the contrast, right? Because a lot of what we hear a lot of times, right? Is that how can you expect John Gibson to make these saves and how can, what do you expect behind this type of defense? And I think that Vegas game is a clear example. And sure the ducks in the first period did a decent job of limiting those chances, but in the second and third, they didn't. And John Gibson was able to come up huge and make some massive saves. We saw it in other games from Lucas Dostal, but, um, he was able to really come up big for the Ducks, even though he was getting um, getting bombarded. And I just don't think that the excuse the Ducks' defense is not an excuse for poor John Gibson performances. 
I think that you can point to that as a reason for some of the goals going in and being a high goal total. But I think that it, two things can be um, can be right at the same time. John Gibson is underperforming what he should be doing, and the defense is also underperforming what they should be doing. And I think that both those are occurring at the same time throughout these games. And so, yeah, against Nashville, it was uh, they scored six goals. I believe uh, one of those I think was an empty netter. I'd need to go back and double check all the games at this point with how the the season has gone somewhat blend in together. Um, But Nashville had 3.7 expected goals against. Like this game came down to the, it actually wasn't horrible five on five per hockey viz in all situations. Five on five, a little bit of a different story, but 3.7 to 3.5. And UC Soros played fantastic and John Gibson did not. And that's kind of the difference for a lot of these games. And I don't think boiling it down to that side side of it is um, a fair thing to do. But I think it's part of the conversation. I think that Lucas Justall should at least be in there, whether it's to win the game or not, it would at least give Gibson a break. And this is not necessarily even meant to blame him. It's meant to essentially provide the Ducks with a much more spry and ready John Gibson in later games because right. we saw it right the the vegas game fantastic nashville and uh philly philly after that not as great and so it's it's trying to preserve his workload for him and so i think it for to answer your question about where does blame lie it's tough but i think the blame has to lie at both gibson sudzi uh sudarshan maharaj and um and Dallas Akins. And I think that that it can't, it has to be those three because Dallas Akins is probably getting input there from all parties and is choosing whose goalie is. And so the end of the day, I guess the blame fully lies on Aiken's feet, but there's a lot of input from other parties. And so I just think that someone has to step in here. Right. I just think that with all the investment that the ducks have made in data science and sports science, that they would kind of see that, hey, this workload for John Gibson is not giving you an optimal level of performance. And again, like you were saying, this isn't to blame John Gibson because clearly in kind of the list of problems of this season, I think he's pretty low on the list, to be quite honest. Like that, this is in no way saying that if John Gibson were playing at a Vesna level that the Ducks would, would be remotely sniffing the playoffs because they're just so bad at five on five. But yeah. You ju- but you just, and- see in, you just see in his game that the more he plays... I think that that there's a mental side of it, a mental fatigue where he starts letting in goals where maybe if he's a little sharper, if he's a little fresher, they they might not happen. I mean, I think that there's, of course, the long range wrist shot that we talked about from from Philly, the Philly game. But I think also the the Flyers fourth goal where it's a wraparound attempt where Gibson just kind of dies on his post, essentially. And then that opens up the wraparound opportunity. Eventually, the puck goes in off a deflection, but Gibson overcommitted early on that, and that kind of allowed for that to happen. And a lot of that is just mental. It's just not really reading correctly. And when you're tired, it's harder to think as well. So all these things just kind of work together. And I think if nothing else, that this kind of what we're saying here gives Gibson a bit of an out. Like he's just playing too much, and that's not fully on him. Yeah, and and I think because some people in Twitch chat are blaming up, how can you really blame Gibson when – the Ducks can't even score two goals, which is fair. I mean, they they scored two against Vegas, but that was Aiden Hill being awful. Um, and then they scored, but the rest of the week, they only scored one goal. And Calgary, they scored two dating back the week before. 
Anaheim going back, or sorry, against Minnesota, one goal, LA, one goal. You have to go back to the Edmonton game on December 17th to a point where the Ducks scored more than two goals in a game. Yeah. Um, because the Vegas game was a, a shootout is technically how they got the third goal in that game. And so, well, yes, that is an issue. And we've talked about that at ad nauseum about the, the yeah. depth scoring being a massive issue for this team. And if the Zegris line is not going, they don't really have a whole lot of offense outside of that. Um, and But I, I think it's a mix of things is that the offense isn't producing. And so it's not necessarily that the games are on John Gibson. It's the fact that his play suffers when he's right. playing in these continual games. And so it, he's not necessarily helping the team. He's kind of part of that problem as compared to being part of the solution when he's playing so many games. And I think at this point in time, we we lobbied for it early, right? Of This mm-hmm. should be a 50-50 split. That would yes. make the most sense. And that's just not what it is right now. That's not how it's been all season. I mean, John Gibson has played so many games for this Ducks team this season that it's frustrating from the perspective of, John Gibson's rest. It's frustrating frustrating from the perspective of uh Anthony Solar should be getting games to try to build up his trade trade uh trade value. And it's frustrating from the perspective of Lucas Dostal should have been or Dostal should have been playing games while he was up still. And so I I think if Stolar is healthy. I think sending down Dostal is the right call because right. he needs to be playing games. Having him ride the bench is not the right call with how they play Gibson. But they should change that and call and trade Stolars and call up Dostal because that's where this shit, where this is and this needs to go. Right, absolutely. That, that's the whole thing is that right now, Anthony Stolars not playing is just a waste of a roster spot, basically, yeah. because so, he he's he's an expiring contract, and unless the Ducks intend to have him through the season, they need to get him on the ice so that teams can see him playing and hopefully playing well. Otherwise, just having him ride the pine while Gibson plays 90% of the games, it, again, like I said, it's just a waste of a roster spot, basically. Like, you're, you're just not doing anything with that asset that is yeah. Anthony Stolarz so, at the moment. So, Gibson, he got hurt and missed those five games. So, in the games that he's been healthy for, there's been 33 games. He started in 25 of those. Right. Right, that's the thing. His his actual total games played sometimes is a little misleading because he gets hurt basically every season. But when he's actually healthy, he plays the the he gets the lion's share. Of like the starts. if he was fully healthy, he would be on pace for sixty two games. <laughs> that's a lot. That's that, a that's lot. A, that's a lot. That sixty two games in an eighty two game season. Like that's too much. That's too much. Like especially with what we know about his game, with what we know about his play style. That's honestly the biggest takeaway from this week for me because there's a whole lot of other issues. But those mm-hmm. other issues, like. I was thinking about putting, I was putting out a tweet last night and trying to highlight some things, positive negatives from the game, different things like that from the, the flyers game, which we'll yeah. get into in a sec. Um, and obviously the, the big positive that's always there, honestly, at this point in time is the egress line. The egress line is constantly always going. They're constantly always yes. the best team at generate or best line at generating offense. They're typically always generating offense at a rate better than they're giving up. Um, <laughs> and it, it's just, they are a very good line for this ducks team. They are a very good line in the NHL on the whole, and they just don't have anything outside of that. And the the uh, Strom-Vitrano pairing still is not working. No. And they're still being rolled out there. And that has been a, a really big issue for this team. And as I was sitting there kind of coming up with the suite, I'm like, nothing's changed. Like, this is the same story early on when we were really trying. Because I think early on in the season, you and I both 
you and I both obviously look back and our opinion on this team was flawed for yes. various different reasons with yes. how we viewed this out, the outcome for this season. Um, and trying to identify what things can improve to kind of get back to where we had projected this team to be at. And that was a big one, I think, early on that we focused on a lot. And so kind of looking at that game, it's just the same story as early on in the season. I think that's somewhat frustrating. But that's, I think, why we're focusing on the Gibson side of it right now, because the other parts are the same things that we've talked about right. for weeks and weeks and weeks. Right. Now. So I, I just hope that people don't get this impression listening to this that we're making this about John Gibson and that John Gibson is to blame for, for what's happened. That's That's really not the case. It's just that, like you said, things have kind of really remained stagnant everywhere else. And so this is just kind of something new, new-ish to talk about. But really, I mean, I, while you were talking there, I was just kind of perusing the games played of other, you know, kind of the top NHL goalies the last couple of years. And really, it's kind of an anomaly for a goalie to get 60 plus starts and also play well and then play well the next season. I mean, outside of the elite of the elite, there's just not many guys that are crossing that 55 plus game mark. Um, I mean, Andre, Andre Vasilevsky played 63 games last year and played a bunch in the play. I mean, went all the way to the Stanley Cup file. And that to me is, is just an aberration. <laughs> like Andre Vasilevsky is a freak. The fact that he can play that much and play that well. Yeah. He's playing for the Tampa Bay lightning, but he's a huge part of their success. And so, and, and also by the way, last year, Andre Vasilevsky had a nine sixteen save percentage. So you might even argue that the, the total number of games played in the regular season didn't necessarily help his bottom line production. Um, yep. So all this to say that if if the Ducks see John Gibson as one of these guys, as an Igor Shosturkin, UC Saros, Andre Vasilevsky, you can play a ton of games. I think they're just that's just a critical error because if you look at his injury history, if you look at how he's performed, he's just not that. And and that would be true, by the way, if the Ducks were also a, a very good team. Even if the Ducks were one of these elite teams in the NHL, I still think that we would be we would be making the same argument that he that he is at his best when he's got he's got a lighter workload. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. One hundred percent. Um. Yeah. And, and so it, it's definitely it's frustrating. I think. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of things frustrating. I think usage is a big thing of frustration, but. Let's just jump into this Flyers game because the Nashville most, game, like they got, game. they got crushed. Vegas game we talked about already. Well, but, I, th I think the one thing you can say that's positive about the, the Vegas game, well, there's two things. One is Adam Henrique. I mean, yes. two goals on the night. And Adam Henrique is just having a quietly great season. Yes. And this is something that I think we have kind of stayed away from discussing because it, it didn't really feel that feasible in recent years. But now, I mean, you look at it, Adam Henrique has basically a season and a half left on his contract with the ducks. And I wonder the way he's playing, he's on about a 40 ish point pace and a 20 ish goal pace. And he's got a 10 team, no trade list of teams that he just would not accept a, a, yeah. a trade to. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's at all feasible to trade Adam Henrique this season or, or is it really going to come down to either this off season or next trade deadline? I think it would be this off season or next trade deadline. I don't think, I think the term is what is going to scare people away. Because it's just a year. Yeah. But it's, the the, but the it's, issue to me is the is the, the cap age. hit. I think it's the cap hit and his age. I, mm -hmm. I think if if he was younger, if he was, say, 29, and the next year was his age 30 season, that would be one thing. 
But the fact that he is not that age and that he's kind of, there's just a lot of age related risk, right? With injuries, with everything that comes along with that, with age related decline. I know Adam Henrique is really aged like a fine wine, but he's 32 now. And I believe he turns 33 next month. So, I mean, they're going to be getting his eight. He'll be 34 at the yeah. expiration of this contract. Are teams really going to want to go out and trade a prime a- asset for at 5.8 mil? Um, so, I mean, the ducks could retain. There's always yeah, that option. If, let's say you retain the full, the yeah. full amount. So, that makes I mean, it a lot more palatable for yeah, another team. Yeah. So um, I, I think it it just becomes a big question of what a team is willing to give up for him. And well, so I, I think I think there's there's another side to this equation too, which is should the Ducks want to trade Adam Henrique? Because, I was about to go there. Yes. Yes, because the Ducks. I mean, you, you were talking about it earlier. Don't have reliable sources of offense, and at some point which I believe could be next season, the Ducks are going to want to be competitive, right? They're going to want to take a step forward. And Adam Henrique is showing that he can be a part of that, that he can be a meaningful part of that. And there's also, I mean, this is maybe a little more nebulous slash kind of harder to prove, but they do need some leadership, right? They do need some presence on this team. And they also have to hit the cap floor. Right, exactly. And they have to stay above the cap floor. There's just a bunch of different reasons, I think, where Adam Henrique is still a valuable member of this team, even if if it's a very bad team. Well, I was about, yeah, you can't. I I think next season, if the Ducks, you know, go out and spend a bunch of money in the summer, Adam Henrique could still be an important part of of the roster. Yeah, that's the big thing right now, though, is that the Ducks can't do a complete fire sale at the deadline because you have to stay above the cap floor. I think that's one of the biggest things that a lot of people may forget because right. you're going to move out Klingberg, Klingberg that's seven million. I think one well, thing to keep in mind, right. Is that the, um, the way the salary cap works is it accrues on a daily basis. So the ducks are going to be able to accrue and keep on their cap sheet, the amount of salary cap hit per day up until they trade John Klingberg. Well, and you, so that will you also don't really see floor. bad contracts being moved in a season. So if the ducks wanted to take money back, yeah, I, I just don't know how they would make that work either. Yeah, so I mean, we'll see. I, I think there's an argument for both sides. I think well, if the well, asset, what, what is your what is your take? My take is it depends on what the return is. Oh, that's lame. You it, need, you it, need to have a hot take. My me my hot take with everyone is that everyone should be movable on this Ducks team besides Trevor Zegers, besides Troy Terry, besides Mason McTavish, besides Jamie Drysdale. Okay. Everyone is movable for the right price. And so if that price is met, if it's something that are we sure is, Jamie Drysdale's in that group? I think Jamie Drysdale's in that group. Okay. I, um, and so even Adam Henrique, who's having a good season this year, I think if the return is a good return, then you have to do it. I think it's that simple. And yeah. so if the return doesn't make sense, and if what you're going to get from Adam Henrique over the next year and a half outweighs that, then you keep him. I, I think it, it's just a pro con analysis, a cost benefit analysis and you just simply weigh the two options and figure out which one makes the most sense for your team. If you're getting a first round pick and a prospect, I think you do it. Right. Right. And, and so yeah, um so I think that's basically kind of my view on Adam Henrique from that perspective. Um was there anything else from the Vegas my, game that you want to bring up? My after? take my take yeah. on Adam Henrique is yep. I would be I do think that you, that you of course you can make a case for both sides and I do think that I could see a team that's just feeling like this is their year making a, a move and getting Henrique this season. I'm not, I don't think it's impossible, but there's, there's other constraints, 
I personally would be a little hesitant to do it because I just think that yep you can you can burn it too far to the ground you can you can burn it too much to the bone and that's a possible issue that I think the ducks may get close to especially at this trade deadline where they're probably going to move out even more bodies the ducks are well past the sell-off phase right of of this rebuild especially like what's another i mean this this might sound a little bit harsh or whatever but like what's another first rounder and and prospect gonna do at this juncture like how uh, far how far off are the, how far off are the ducks really because i know that this sounds insane because of how bad they've been but call me an optimist i still don't think they're that far away I no, I don't either. But I think a first round pick in this draft, maybe two or three years out, which is going to be their when they're just starting to enter their pure contending window. That's fair. And so, I, I think from that perspective, a first round pick really does help you um, a decent amount, especially in this draft specifically. Um, and so, I mean, you look at the team though. Uh, uh, a team that is in a sell off phase is someone like the Chicago Blackhawks, where you yeah. should be burning it to the ground, moving everything up because there is nothing on that team. The Ducks are not actually in that perspective. The Ducks have a whole lot more cooking. They have a whole lot more there. They have the Zegras. They have the Minchukov. They have the Drysdale. They have the, the right. Zellweggers. They have the McTavish. They have this entire bevy of prospects that are probably going to be ready to break into the NHL within the next year or two. I mean, Zellweger will be in the NHL probably next year. Minchukov, I mean, I don't Maybe know if you saw this. Maybe a couple years. No, Minchukov, I think, could be in the NHL next year or the year after. He's going to be in the AHL for sure next year. Um, yeah. I mean, fair point. B dolls bring us. Is it really a sell off if it's a 32 year old forward? That's a fair point. But when he's one of your most productive players and someone that is really a complimentary piece to two yeah, of your, he's been one of their your, best players and two of two, uh, two uh, one of the best complimentary pieces to two of your prime assets on your team and prime players on this, on your team, then I, I'd say that, yes, that is a terrible. So, or sorry, that is a, that is part of a sell off. Um, and so, I mean, it really depends. Like I said, I think that there's arguments for both sides of it. I think what that ends up leading me to is that it requires a very large package and one that would be very beneficial for the Ducks to really make uh, make it happen. Yeah, and you know, like I think that there's there's a fine case to be made either way. This isn't. I don't think that there's like one nope. right answer here. Nope. Um. um it it so really all just depends what happens. Jumping into that Flyers game though, now. So here's my take on this game. The Flyers are bad. The Ducks are also bad. have been chopping at the bit to talk about a very forgettable game. No, it's just, then we'll move on to the much more, we'll we'll get to the ad read, then we'll move on to the more fun stuff to talk about. Okay. So that that's why I'm chomping at the bit to just get through this. Uh, okay. This was a game that more or less was, I think the scoreline was not necessarily fair. The, the Ducks started off really bad. They started off horribly. I think their first period is in line with the score. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I think at the end, of what happened in this game was they ended up being able to generate a decent amount of offense from the power play, but they just weren't able to capitalize. And whether that is a situation where they're becoming a bit more predictable and that McTavish one-timer that Zegers is now feeding him, goalies, goalies are starting to read that a little bit. I don't know if you've caught that as of yet, and you're you're smirking at me now. I, I think that are you, we are you, we resulting right now? Maybe. But goalies have started to read that, and it's taking perfect shots to be able to score that goal. And well, I mean, that's kind of true most of the time, though. Like, to score on a one-timer coming across the ice, like, it's got to be a good shot. It's not 
It's not a guaranteed but, goal every time. No, I know, but goalies are already on their post by the time he releases it is kind of what's been happening lately for that goal. Right. And so it might, you're right. It may be more results driven and maybe it comes up where, where goalies aren't reading as well. He gets wide, more wide open nets where he just kind of buries it towards the near post and it goes in. Um, and, and all this is kind of for naught. But the Ducks weren't able to capitalize on the power play. And that was kind of the difference in this game. The Ducks had poor goaltending from John Gibson. That That is a fact in this one with two of the goals that he let in. And outside of that, five on five, it was just kind of a boring game that neither team really played well no. in. <laughs> These and, are two awful teams. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's kind of how this game ended up going. I don't know if you have much more to say on it. Well, I think on the power play, this is somewhat interesting because it at least involves the Ducks' future, right? Yes. I mean, these are th- the three guys that are driving that power play, Terry, Zegris, and McTavish, although you could you could make the case that Henrik and Fowler are, are just as much a part of that. But those three youngsters, I think that the problem that they're running into isn't so much that that play is predictable because it's one thing to know it's coming but it's another to stop it right i mean you can know that it, you can know that an alex ovechkin one-timer is coming it doesn't mean that your chances of, of stopping it necessarily go up significantly so i think the bigger problem with this with this current power play is that they're they're not really finding a way to have threats outside of that play right yes. that that is a dangerous play i think no matter what the problem is there's not really any other kind of counterweight to that to that play. Like yeah. I, I think back to a power play in overtime. This was against Vegas actually, where the Ducks had a four on three, and it was Terry Henrique, um, Zegers, and Fowler, and they didn't put McTavish out there. And without McTavish on that right side, it was very awkward because everything was constrained to the left side of the ice. And there was just no real shooting threat from that left side, you know, and and I think that Troy Terry is still kind of figuring out where exactly he fits into that power play. You know, sometimes it's a little bit of an awkward fit because him and Zegers are so close together. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that they're just kind of running into this issue where one thing works really well. They just need to. They just need to add a couple different changeups. I mean, to- it's kind of similar, honestly, to what the prior setup was in terms of what ended up happening long term. Right. Zegers had some success with the one timer from that half wall, with the pass coming from Klingberg, mm-hmm. and then kind of teams started keying in on it, and it stopped working. And then they ended up switching it up, putting McTavish over there, and they had some success not actually using that one timer. And doing kind of very different things with Terry below the the goal line and all these unique kind of looks. And then it's kind of felt like they've started to go to this McTavish one-timer a bit too much of late. Yeah. And so to be fair, though. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, To be fair, there was a really good chance that happened on the power play, though, where ended up being kind of a bit of broken play. Ducks get the puck behind the goal line. I think it was either Zegers or Terry ends up with it behind the net and finds uh, Henrique right in front for essentially a wide open shot right in front that he's just not able to bury. And it was a good save. But I mean, that is exactly that type of play that we're talking about, where something a little bit different to, to switch things up and. I mean, that will go in the net maybe, what, 20% of the time? And this was part of the 80. Right. And I and I think you saw in this game that they, they, they're they starting to move the pieces around a little bit, right, just during the power play. I think I saw someone point this out on Twitter today, but, I mean, this it, 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 a lot of this does go back to the, to the root issue, which is that the first power play unit still just doesn't play enough. Yeah. Like, like, like there's so much of this is just kind of having the time to work out the kinks. And a lot of the times they're not really afforded that because 
they're either coming on second or they're taken off about 55 seconds in. And I, I think one tweak that I would like to see maybe for as good as Cam Fowler has been on that first unit, I would like to see John Klingberg in that spot because that's a shooting uh, threat that just kind of... Op- well, also, I mean, if you want to trade John Klingberg, you probably no, want to get him some points, right? That, that's a fair point. But where I was going with that that expression was more or less... I, I saw this in our Twitch chat, someone bringing up that teams aren't respecting Cam Fowler's shot. And I don't think that's... Uh, I, I think that's somewhat on purpose because Cam Fowler's not necessarily shooting the puck. Yeah. And we, we talk about this all the time that point shots are overrated. Especially on the but, power play. But, but John Klingberg is one of those guys who's shown an ability to be a threat from that spot. Like, he's I, had, like at, at the very least, to me, he has that reputation. He has that reputation, but and, it's also in some yeah. ways with guys being able to tip the puck. And yeah. are, I'm not sure if the Ducks have that ability at this point in time. Well, and I mean, so, to me, maybe that's, the ter- maybe that's where Terry can fit into this. I, I just think true. that you're just trying to add a dimension. You're just trying to add something else that the penalty killers have to key in on. And if nothing else, it's like a decoy where at least you're, you're opening up that lane in the middle a little bit more. Yeah. And to the point on Fowler, he's up there to be a distributor and move the puck around. And, and he he's does doing that, a great job. He does it. that really well. And so that's one thing because there's some people kind of criticizing Fowler and his shot and everything like that. And it, he's, he's, he's doing just not a power play quarterback. No, but he's doing what he should be doing on that power play. He's distributing the puck to the guys that should have the pucks on their stick. And he's providing himself as essentially a, a me, uh, someone to, to move the puck around. And yeah. That's what you want out of someone in that position. You don't want someone bombing from the point because at the end of the day, that's not a good chance for a power play. And right. so um, so it's just something where I think Fowler's doing a fine job. I think you're right that there could be someone out there that makes it a little bit more dynamic and is able to get the puck to more dangerous areas quickly. Um, and I think maybe Klingberg can be that. I mean, ideally, honestly, that would be a Zellweger or <laughs> if Drysdale wasn't hurt, it'd be Drysdale. Right, because I, I don't think you want a guy taking a bunch of shots from the point, but I think it it still matters to have a guy that at least penalty killers are going to have to respect and and have some kind of fear about whether or not yeah. they can get a dangerous and I don't shot even, off. I don't think it's fr- from the perspective of bombing from the point. I think it's from moving the puck and being able to walk the line into getting into a dangerous spot to shoot. And I think yeah. that that's probably the better way to put it. And, and the the other issue with Henry, with uh, with Klingberg sometimes, though, is that he's he's just always looking for his shot. And I don't blame him because he's trying to, he's trying to get paid. He's trying to yeah, get out of here. True, true. I, I don't, I don't know if he's actually trying to get out of here. But the point is, he's trying to, he's trying to better his standing financially. And I think that the the he needs to be, it needs to be communicated to him that hey, you're on this top unit, but just kind of play within the flow, and and we'll make it work. Because right now he's just wasting away on that second unit, that that yeah. Strom Vitrano Silverberg <laughs> second unit that just has not worked. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. All right. So before we get into some of the the other talking points that are going to go basically out of style as of midday tomorrow, potentially, uh, let's have a word from our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Green Chef. So Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company, and they make eating well easy with plans fit every lifestyle, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat a more balanced meal. Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. So if you're looking to kickstart a keto diet in the new year, we're making it, or Green Chef is making it easier than ever uh, before to keep keto with their brand new limited time keto kickoff 2023. Now you can find keto recipes for breakfast, lunch, 
lunch and dinner, plus meal bundles at the green market. Keep keto easy and delicious. And they've expanded their menu. Now you have 30 recipes weekly with option to mix and match meals from different dietary preferences in the same box without changing your plan. If you're craving more servings of your favorite recipe, you can do double portions in your weekly order with just one click, and they're offering more customization customizations than ever before. You can swap proteins uh, in any meal that features chicken, beef, or salmon for USDA certified organic ground beef, USDA uh, USDA certified organic chicken, and wild caught uh, caught sockeye salmon. Um, now you can also though. Uh, add chicken or fish to select vegan and veggie recipes each week for an added protein boost. And they're adding 10, they've also now offered 10 minute lunches. Each week's menu includes two convenient, low prep, and nutritious lunch recipes ready in just 10 minutes, no cooking required. Perfect when you're on the go or pressed for time in the office. Eat well at lunchtime too. And so it's all convenient, easy in 2023. Help yourself to delicious, convenient recipes that support your healthy lifestyles and taste good too. And you can eat well in the new year without sacrificing taste. And you can bring more flavor to your table in the new year with Green Chef's wholesome, elevated recipes. And they, as we've mentioned, they have options for every lifestyle, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian. If you want fast and fit, if you want Mediterranean, if you want gluten-free, they have that for you. And they also, uh, they're the only company that has a keto meal kit that makes sticking to carb-conscious lifestyle easy. And everything's sustainable. The recipes feature organic produce, premium proteins, and sustainably sourced ingredients. You can raise your food food standards in 2023 and reap the benefits. Um, And it's the only meal kit that's both carbon and plastic offset. They offset 100% of their carbon footprint, as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. Uh, And with Green Chef, you're reducing your food waste by up to 38% versus uh, grocery shopping. And so Green Chef's great. I mean, their menu looks fantastic fantastic uh what is it this upcoming week i'm looking at their menu right now felix how would you like a roasted chicken with lemon crema butternut squash and brussels sprouts with parmesan and hazelnuts mediterranean they have some mediterranean turkey burgers thai style pork salad uh some other things creamy shrimp and bacon soup uh cheesy artichoke and chicken salads i mean to be quite honest with everyone here Green Chef's been a longtime sponsor of the show. They've been kind enough to send us meals. They're always top-notch, absolutely fantastic, very easy to make and follow the recipes. I cannot, cannot recommend this anymore. Um, I don't know, Felix, you have anything that's uh, looking great to you or anything to add? User code. Yes. Uh, and so with, uh, with that being said, you can go to greenchef.com slash ctp60 and use code ctp60 to get 60 percent off plus free shipping uh once again that's greenchef.com slash ctp60 and use code ctp60 to get 60 percent off plus free shipping uh green chef the number one meal kit for eating well well the real star of that that ad read was there was a water bottle debate that broke out in our chat i'm let me let me take a guess was it started by Lou? Well, so it all started with Heyo Difla pointing out or asking if I'm drinking alkaline water, which I actually am. Kirkland brand, I should point out, not a sponsor. Um, and then Lou, out of nowhere, just said that Dis- he said Dasani is the undisputed champ in the bottled water game. And Lou has a lot of bad takes, but that that's like a top five bad take. Dasani no- is, is fine. Dasani is real bad. 
It's fine. It's real bad. It's, I mean, it's, it's 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 LA tap water. The the worst is Arrowhead. Love the brand. How and love you, the Arrowhead Pond. Hate Arrowhead water. How can you say that that Arrowhead is worse than Dasani when Dasani is literally LA like filtered LA tap water, and uh, Arrowhead is actual spring water? I don't know. Tastes fine. Like, isn't that isn't that what we're striving for here? Is actual water? It tastes fine. Not swamp water. Anyway, and as you fiddle around through camera, not sure what's yeah. going on there. Don't don't ask. Don't okay. ask. Won't tell. Yeah, um, Arrowhead is delicious. Thank you, Connor. Yeah. Um, uh, Dasani. Yeah, Dasani has no taste because it's been filtered to bits because it's it's from the swamps. Okay, that's enough wow. bottled water talk. Wow. Okay. Well, so go go check out Green Chef. Sixty percent off is a lot. I don't really want to spend a ton of time on this because it could very well be completely moot uh by what is it noon tomorrow yeah but Jakub Verana is it Jakub or Jacob I'm not sure Jakub Jakub Verana is uh on waivers and he's had a bit of a checkered history here with the since arriving to the Detroit Red Wings was obviously in the player assistance program this year and has come out of it now which is great to see yes hope hoping that that whatever issue he was dealing with uh has has resolved itself or, or that he's if nothing else he's taken a step towards resolving it and that's really great to see yep now the detroit red wings have placed him on waivers and he's a he's a good player i mean he hasn't been quite as good in detroit if you look at his numbers since arriving to detroit he's his on ice impact that we saw him have in washington has really kind of died down but the the finishing the playmaking is still there and and that leads me to believe that in a, in a good environment this this is still a very good player the issue is that he's got a contract that might make it prohibitive for teams to claim him, and maybe that is the gamble here. So, should the Ducks claim Jakub Vrana? So is the question. one one thing I want to add is he just also you mentioned since leaving Washington. I mean, he's only played thirty nine games. Yeah. So I, I think making any big sweeping conclusion about the player he is um, after leaving Washington is not necessarily a fair indictment of his play because he just hasn't played enough. He he played eleven games. I believe he got hurt. At the end of the season, also after joining Detroit, after getting traded there from Washington, and then played 26 games last year and got hurt, I believe, and missed the rest of the season, uh, needing uh, surgery, and then this year played two games and then went into the player assistance program. And so kind of my view on this is this is a different situation than some of the other players that have gone on waivers, I think, because a lot of the other players that have gone on waivers are typically guys that – are either being put on waivers to be sent down to the AHL and, and they don't carry a large cap hit like an Eli Tolvanen, that he's still a prospect, doesn't necessarily have the um, pedigree behind him um, as an NHLer, or a guy like a Mike Riley who is being put on waivers and you could potentially get at a later date for a pick because Boston is putting him on waivers and does not want him on the team at that point in time. They're going to try to move him probably, and probably are going to try to clear cap if they can. This is not a situation where I think that Steve Eiserman is trying to clear cap. And, and so that's a key aspect here. This is a situation where it's almost closer to the Tolvanen situation of wanting to get him games in the AHL. And essentially, Eiserman's taking a calculated risk here where I think four teams have the cap space to take on Jacob Verona as of right now if they claimed him on waivers. And it would be the Ducks the Sabres, um, 
the Coyotes and the Blackhawks, I believe, were the four teams. Let me double-check that real quick. And so if you're looking at those four teams, there's really no reason for the Blackhawks, who we talked about it, right? They're kind of on the scorched earth type of situation right now where they're not trying to be good next year. They're on this long-term plan. I mean, it's he, gonna take- he could make sense for them as a, as a trade asset. I think that that's probably the only case sure. you could make for the Blackhawks to take it. Sure, sure. And give them some game time. But they're at 5.9 mil uh, in space. So they're tight against the cap. And really, it would be tight to make it work for them. Um, and they're the only team that has priority over the Ducks. The Coyotes, the Coyotes, I think, are still in scorched earth also. I, I don't. I think that it would be the same situation as the Blackhawks, where if they were to get them. The Sabres and the Ducks, to me, are the only two teams where it makes complete and total sense. Because I think the Ducks and the Sabres are in a similar situation of trying to be good next year. I think the Sabres are better this year due to coaching, due to a lot of variety of things. But as we talked about it earlier, right, this could turn around next season for the Ducks. And that is the reason why you would go out and get a Jacob Verona is not necessarily for this season. And I think, to be honest, we've seen that under Dallas Akins, even good players are bad. And so I don't know if Jacob Braun is a guy that actually helps out this team necessarily this year under this coaching staff. I don't necessarily expect him to be used properly, but he's someone with a good coach who would be uh, put in a situation to thrive and could be a really valuable asset for this team uh, moving forward. And sure, there is the issue around his cap hit um, and what that will do to the Ducks. But like we talked about, right, the Ducks are going to be moving guys out and the, they the are cap cap is really not a big issue for the ducks no and and i did the quick math on it for next year because some people so he's under contract at 5.25 for this year and next and the ducks have a lot of salary cap space going into next season i believe it's at 42 million um with 11 players signed and so sure the ducks do have to sign troy terry they do have to sign trevor zegris they do have to sign jamie drysdale but I did the quick math, and even if all of those guys are signed, and even if they bring on a Jacob Verona, they still have about $2.5 million per player after that point to sign guys, and they're still going to have guys jumping into the lineup that are going to be on ELCs like an Olin Zellweger that is going to raise that um, amount per game. The Ducks also could have the ability to buy out a uh, Jacob Silverberg if they wanted to, or Silverberg might just retire. Who knows over summer? Um, so there's a whole lot there. And so I don't think the cap hit for this year and next is necessarily something that the Ducks should be concerned about. I think that they should be identifying whether this is a player that they think they can help them. And well, if also, he is, is this a player that they would be comfortable signing? Because his next contract is, you know, the big one. And I would just wonder. Well, like, I, I don't even I don't even think that I, I actually don't think that that matters that much. Well, I think it matters a little bit, right? Because if you if you are signing him, or, I mean, it doesn't matter that much because he's a waiver claim, and yes. so there's really and, no there's no risk to you. And and he's a UFA. The, but the point I'm just trying to make it is that you, what you're also trying to see is are would you be willing to pay his next contract to yeah. to, to sign him to his and, next contract? And Lou just brought up this point: let him clear waivers, then trade for him and get an asset. That's not going to happen. So I. From what I've looked at, from looking at some of the the Red Wings people that I follow on Twitter, things like that that are kind of in the know, this definitely seems like a situation where they're not trying to well, get rid of the cap. Well, it's a conditioning loan. Well, no, he's on a conditioning loan right now. They're putting him on waivers to get him more time in the AHL. Right. Is what my view of it is. And extend that time in the AHL after being in the, the player assistance program. And so... 
Um, this isn't a situation where their Iserman is shopping him. I think this is a situation where they are trying to um, they are trying to get him to clear waivers because there aren't that many. There are only four teams that have the capability to take him on, and Iserman's taking a very calculated risk that those teams won't claim him. Yeah, I mean, and, there, there, there is a flip side to this, of course. Like, this, these are all assumptions. We don't actually mm-hmm. know for sure that, that that's what they're thinking. It's just that's what seems plausible given all the circumstances. Yeah. So, it, is also, it is also possible that they are trying to get rid of him. Sure. And it could be Verona wanting a, a clean sweep where he needs... Maybe this is a favor to Verona to, to let him go to a different team if if maybe... I mean, who knows what the, the issues were that caused him to go into the NHL player program, but maybe it has to do with... Something in Detroit, well, who and, knows? And that's where that's where maybe Pat Verbeek, having recently been in Detroit, maybe yeah. maybe privy to this information, and maybe if you see the Ducks pass on, on Verona, maybe that's why. Who knows? I mean, to the other side of it, he was de- he was a part of the franchise when they traded for him. He may have been someone that was a fan of him when they traded for him. Yeah, and as an AGM, was maybe someone who was on board with that and I mean, wanted just, to get him. Just based off of what he's done on the ice. And the the kind of where he's at in his development, the age, the contract, Verona is is a fine pickup for the Ducks for kind yeah. of the short term. Yep, and, and I think he's not necessarily someone that's gonna. For those of you that are on Bedard watch, I don't think he takes the Ducks out of that situation because we talked about it. We've talked about it so much. <laughs> the coaching staff is the reason they're here. I don't think it has to do with the actual talent on the roster. I mean, if you put Connor McDavid on the Ducks, like how much? Be- like right now, with with the current standings, like. Would they be able to play their way out of, of the Bedard sweepstakes? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And so, <laughs> so. this is a this is a play for next season and a play to to help them out and potentially build some chemistry there. And if he's someone that can perform, and that's why I think that the next contract does not matter. If he can perform next season, then you can sign him to that deal. If he doesn't, you let him walk. Well, yeah, exactly. Like there, there's not you're not locked into that. Yeah. And and you haven't paid anything for it, which is yep. which is the case for. I just think that it's gonna be interesting what Verona's even able to get on his next contract because of how the last couple of years have gone for him. So we'll see. But it is an interesting thought, and at the end of the day, you know, this is probably gonna most likely gonna be a moot point because yeah. Well, and think about it like this, right? It also gives McTavish someone better to play with. Yeah, Thanks I mean, Leeson I mean, off that line. I mean, I, like the, we, you we were talking about it earlier. How the Ducks, outside of the Zegers line, don't really have any other f- sources of offense. Yeah. Al- although I can guarantee you that if Verana uh, is claimed by the Ducks, he will go straight to the Vetrano Strom line. <laughs> yeah, probably. Mc- McTavish will still be with with Brett Leeson, Leeson. Brett Leeson and, and Max. Oh uh, well, technically, sorry, Verana is a left winger, so Brett Leeson's safe. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, but Verona, I think to me, like if, if just my personal opinion, I would do it. Yep. I think that there's really no downside. And the upside is that maybe you find a, a key piece for the next, you know, f- few years as you, yep. as you're turning to corner yep. as a franchise. I mean, to be fair, he is 20. He's going to turn 27. That's what I'm saying. Like he, there is, there is a risk if you resign him, but yep. you're not locked into doing that by picking him up. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, so. Awesome. Uh, anything else on that or? No, I think that he will 
clear waivers. Yeah. <laughs> because it's the NHL. I, I think predictably that's probably what's going to happen. I think the Ducks should claim him. Uh, he he they will clear waivers, and there may be a very good reason for that, or there may it may just be that all GMs are kind of helping each other out and... Well, yeah. I, I think I think the only team that it makes a whole lot of sense for is the Ducks because of, first off, the connection there between mm-hmm. Verbeek and Verona, if, with Verbeek being in the front office when they acquired him. Like, who knows? Maybe Eisenman wasn't a huge Verona fan, yeah. and it was Verbeek that pushed for him. Like, there, there's yeah. a whole lot of there. Now that Verbeek is gone, maybe Eisenman is willing to move on. Who knows? There, don't there's you, don't there's you a think whole lot of speculation. If the GM isn't a fan, it just seems like that. It doesn't pass that. Who knows? We, yeah. we, we we just don't know. It's all pure speculation at this point in time. So yep. we'll see. Not a, I, not a big deal if they don't claim him. I think it would be useful no. if they did. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of the work has to happen in the offseason for this team. Um, so let's get into questions. So we'll stop. We'll start with our Discord. Uh, if you want to go to patreon.com slash crashpond, you can join us there at the $1 tier. You get access to our Discord. Um, and so we'll start there. Uh Jassy asked us, uh, who would be the better duo? Zegers with Solani or McTavish with Korea? Oh, wow. That is a fun question. That is a very fun question. I think it has to be Zegers Solani. <sighs> like, Timu Solani is a prolific, I mean, one of the all-time great goal scorers. And True. You put, you put him with a Trevor Zegers, who has already shown that he's a dynamic playmaker. And I just, I would pay to watch that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's probably the way to go is Zegers with McTavish or Zegers with Solani. Because um, I think McTavish, we haven't necessarily seen him be a guy that would um, would like, shoot the I, puck consistently. I think he'd, so, he'd be good with Paul Korea. Like, I yes. mean, it's hard to be bad with Paul Korea, but we just don't really have as much of a sample with Mason McTavish as we do with Trevor Zegers. Yep. And and just like Timu Solani, <laughs> like, like look at his career and look at where he was at in, at his peak. And I do think that his peak was higher than Paul Correa's. So I would just rather have Ooh, Solani wow. as it is. Yeah. Is that is uh, that a, is that a fair statement? Am it's I... a bit. Of, it's a bit of a bold take, but sure. I mean, I I don't know. Let's let's pull up the numbers. You you we can talk about it. Uh, we can move on to the next question. Justin's Dead Wings, uh, Dead Wings and Quackers uh, said, "When does the pain stop?" <sighs> well, the pain stops when you stop caring about the results of each game. Like yeah. you can, you can make this a pain-free next few, you know, what is it? Four months, five months left in the season. You don't have to care anymore about the outcome of each game. And I think if you just focus on the young pieces that are playing in Anaheim and outside of Anaheim, and you look at the positives there, it can, it can be at least far less painful. I'm not yeah. saying it'll be painless, but it'll be far less painful. He also asked two more questions. How long does Aikens have bef- uh, have left before the axe comes down? I think he's riding out the season. Yeah, I mean, they are playing very poorly. They are getting really just kicked in the teeth night in and night out. And he is, there's no indication that he's going anywhere. So yeah, I think he's, I think he's staying the whole season. Yep. Uh, he also said, how bad has Klingberg looked? Man, he has looked awful. <laughs> like I, I don't know how else to say it. Like every game, I feel like he finds a new creative way to 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 turn the puck over. There was a play against Philly where he he was coming off the wall and he goes to his backhand, you know, coming out of the defensive zone and just throws the just just backhand saucers the puck up the middle with two flyer four checkers sitting right there. 
Like it was like a tape to tape pass to the other team. So yeah, he has not been good. Yeah. Duck Shagana asks, if you were a GM uh Pat Verbeek, how do you address the team's future core? If they were aware of a plan to stay the course and build next season, uh uh, they seem to be getting frustrated regardless with where they're at. And the consensus seems to be that the roster is better than the results. So how would you address them? If you were the GM address the, the future core, if you were Pat Verbeek, if you had to like have a sit down conversation, if they were all kind of like coming Scrantles. up to him pissed off. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would just tell them that, look, that this season, this season is a transition year, right? We're still trying to kind of build the team that will eventually become a contender that will eventually become a playoff threat. And it's hard to do that overnight. And this season is just kind of the ground floor of that. But as soon as next season, there'll be changes behind the bench. There will be, you know, there'll be money to spend. More players will be brought in. And once we're there, these players, you guys have already shown that you're great talents. So just stick with us here and we can, we can turn this thing around in a hurry. Yep. Completely agreed. Uh, SP84 said, should the Ducks make this the last year of acquiring assets and just start all of their young players together next season? Well, I think we talked about it. Like with Olin Zellweger, I think he's he's going to be in Anaheim next year. And mm-hmm. I think there's there's a possibility for other young players to make the team. Pavel Minchukov could be in the NHL as soon as next season. He's basically winning the OHL Defender of the Month every single month at this <laughs> point. It's insane. Yeah, so... So there is a very good chance that th- that we see that happen as soon as next year. But I do think that there there needs to be a point where these guys take a step. And I think that that's maybe been a, a frustration of this season is that Jacob Perot and Braden Tracy are just kind of toiling away in the AHL when the the NHL team is clearly not going anywhere. And I mean, you're giving roster spots to guys who just don't bring anything, or do, who I shouldn't say don't bring anything, but who just don't factor into the long term plan. So. Should be as soon as now, but I think it can start as soon as next season. Yep, I would agree with that. I th- I think that I think this is probably the last year of acquiring assets because I think they're going to be in a much better spot next season. I don't know if they're necessarily going to start all of their young players together next season. I think it's going to be a bit of a mix, but I think there's going to be a, a big influx of younger guys, especially on the blue line next season. Um. And then Ducks Dragonet said, Team Canada almost got goalied out of the corner final quarterfinals. Are they not him collectively? And he's like, to clarify, Bedard is him. We see that. But the rest of them may not be it. It just kind of seems like this year at the World Junior is just a bit more of a level playing field. I mean, you saw Team USA lose before the, like, in the preliminary rounds. So I, Canada I lost. Yeah. So I just think that the, the playing field is just more level. I think that yeah. the days of a team just kind of wiping the floor with everybody. Maybe not in terms of the final score, but just like the, the the run of play, I think that those days may be somewhat fading away, and I think that's that's for the betterment yeah. of the of the tournament. Yep, exactly. Uh, Skippy with peanut butter said, "My dad is concerned none of the young guns, Zegras, Terry, McTavish, Colmatore, are really improving over last season. I've been crying too hard at games to notice the small details to explain how they are. What parts of their games do you think that uh, these have players have improved at this season?" That's a great question because I think it's something that we don't really talk about enough is just, you know, I love the way we talk about players at the draft because we're looking really just strictly at what they do on the ice and their strengths and weaknesses. And we don't really do that as much in the NHL. I think that, you know, with Trevor Zegras, this is really more of a recent trend, but I feel like he's, he's looking for his shot more. He's looking to get shots off the rush. I mean, you saw it against Philly. He's coming down with speed and he's using the defender as a screen. 
So I think that's mm-hmm. one area you could point to for Zegras. Yeah. And I think with Troy Terry, one of the things that sticks out and the thing with Z- Terry is I don't know if he's necessarily improved over last season or it's just a continuation, but that's how good he was last se- season is that this continuation is still sky high. But one of the things that Terry just continually does is his ability to enter the zone yeah. and kind of create his own shot and attack, uh, attack his own shot or uh, and attack the net off of that and everything along those lines, attack the guy's triangles, um, really get into very, very dangerous spots. As for McTavish, McTavish, I think, has really grown. I think he's really started to flourish now that he's playing in his natural position. I think one of he's the things by the week. <laughs> one of the things you notice the most is when he the puck gets on a stick in the defensive zone. There's not usually a turnover in the neutral zone that happens. No. It usually ends up in the other team's zone, and I'm not talking about it from the perspective of in the neutral zone, dumped it in deep. He usually is transitioning the puck through the neutral zone with the puck on a stick and creating a chance while he does it. Um, And that's something that's really great to see because that's something we didn't see McTavish do earlier in the season, a large part of that due to playing on the wing and not being put in those positions. But those turnovers in the neutral zone, those are what kill you. And having guys that can move the puck from the defensive zone to the offensive zone and do it in a manner and create a chance off it is such an important thing um, to do. And then as for Comtois, Comtois is just kind of in limbo, I feel. I Yeah, that is that is the one where I kind of chuckled at him being involved in that question. But, man, it's just it's just hard to say at this point in time. Like, you know, like his, I feel like he just hasn't gotten a fair shake. Th- I mean, that's the thing is, like, I, I keep wanting to have this, like, big take on him. But I still don't really feel like he's, get, like you said, like he's getting a fair shake or he's being utilized properly. I mean, I think now playing with with McTavish that helps a lot. And we're still <clears throat> we're still seeing this season that he's got some finishing ability. And it may never translate to play driving, but I I don't like this kind of thought that oh, he's just got to go out or that that there's no point in in bringing him back next season. Don't qualify him because I think I still think there's a useful player there and he's not going to break the bank on his next contract. Um Another thing to point out with Quantuan in terms of what he's improved, I think he, I think he's minimized those kind of brain dead plays that he would make in in years past. Like I think there were there were legitimately times, yeah, in, in prior seasons where he just made awful decisions with the puck and would turn it, and would turn it over. I think this year we've seen a lot less of that, and maybe that's both a good and bad thing because there's less creativity in his game. But I think minimizing those mental errors is actually a big a big positive for him. Yep. I would agree with that. Almighty Duck 93 said, what are the very real chances slash actual chances that the Ducks land the number one draft pick? And how does the league determine the draft lottery? And would you guys have a different system? And if so, how would you all do it? Um, so with that, I wanted to actually look up where hockey Viz currently has the project. Cause they, uh, Micah does a really good job of projecting uh, who's going to get the first overall pick. And so, Currently, the including lotteries, trades, everything like that, uh, the chance of the first overall pick, the Ducks are currently sitting at 11.8% chance. Blackhawks are the, have the highest at 161 uh, Columbus at 123 That's kind of projecting out through the rest of the season, everything along those lines, along with the lotteries and how that goes. And so um, that feels about right. Um, I don't know if you have uh, any thoughts on that but the ducks finishing with probably the third best odds 
So is the was the question about how we would fix the lottery? Well, it's first off, what are the uh, very real chances slash actual chances the Ducks get the first overall pick, and then mm-hmm. how do they determine the, the the draft lottery? So the way that they determine it is, it's a lottery with a weighted lottery with the f- top two picks being up for lottery. They do the first uh, overall pick for or the first lottery first. And then the second lottery after with the odds being at 18 and a half percent for the, the worst team in the league, 13 and a half percent for the second worst team, 11 and a half for the uh, third and so on and so forth. There's a whole kind of big percentage about it. And the newest like wrinkle that they've added in is that um, teams can only move up 10 spots. So if a team that's in uh-huh. the 13th range, they can only move up to three. Boom. Once that lottery's done, the second overall pick, or the second lottery happens also for the second overall pick. Isn't that like a pro tanking move though? What? To to make it so teams can't jump up as far? Yes. Like, but like I you're, think it you're, also, you're giving the bad teams a better shot, basically. Which is the whole point of a draft. But it's pro tanking. I thought we I thought we were against tanking. Yeah, well, it went too far. I mean, here's my view of it. If we want to talk about our view on this overall, because so with that being said, the first oh. overall pick, worst team has twenty five and a half percent chance of getting the first. I just got first a gnarly foot pick. cramp. Sorry, everyone. So, <laughs> here's what I would do if I was in charge of the league and we had to keep the NH, the the draft. I would just remove the lottery. Oh, what's well, the pur- yeah. what What's the purpose of the the draft? The it's purpose to- of the to redistribute talent, to give mm-hmm. the worst teams the best players, to help out the teams that are in need most. The teams that are 12, 13, 14th, those teams were on the cusp of the playoffs. They don't need the best players. The Rangers getting Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco in back-to-back years. I think one of those years they were actually bad. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, but the fact that that happened was insane. And um, that shouldn't be happening. The fact that the Chicago Blackhawks jumped up and got Kirby Doc, which turned out to not actually be a great deal for them. But the fact that they were able to jump up to third um, was not great. And I think you just have to really ask yourself, well, what are we doing here with this lottery? Why are we why are we doing it in this manner? If at the end of the day, the whole purpose of this draft lottery is to get the worst, make the worst team better. Yeah. And make the team that is absolutely in the worst position better. Just do away with the lottery. Like the lottery adds chaos, but is this a point? Like something that you want to add chaos to? Like well, just the, po- get it- the point is to make it so that t- teams don't just flat out tank. Yeah, that, but you're that still is the add, purpose. you're still getting a top three pick no matter what if you're the worst team. Well, that's the thing. You're still and you're still getting tanking. Like teams are still being yeah. are still not competing on purpose. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just I don't think that this has really added anything and. I actually tend to agree with you. If you're going to have a draft, no lottery. That's fine. Yeah. My overall big t- big picture takeaway with a different system, if so, just remove the draft. Oh, well, that's that's for another day. That's for a complete another day. But that's no draft. Day. Do a salary cap system if you want to do something like that. Make it so teams can't ha- take in all the talent, but make it uh, an open market. Go back to the regional draft. No regional re- draft. Regional but just, rights. Just keep it completely open market. Let players... At the end of the day, let players play where they want to play. I'm very pro player here. Yeah, that's a that's a little too little too much here. Okay, okay. fine. Hey, Odiflo said Lou has been drinking more coffee and recently asked about how to make his own pizza from scratch. Is he becoming a foodie in 2023? This is a very inside CTP Discord question. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, 
Uh, and 91 Pluto said, will Felix take a Jaeger shot with him uh, at the uh, CTP LA, uh, late arrivals draft party in June? I will not. I despise Jaeger. Well, there you I go. Also, is this thing actually like... I, I we, we need to figure out if that thing is actually happening first, we, but I yes. can... I can confidently state that I'm not doing a, a shot of Jaeger under any circumstance. Jaeger there you is go. absolutely disgusting. Sorry, sorry. However, Connor. I will change my tune if they want to sponsor us. <laughs> yes. I'm a sellout. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as people can tell by our ad reads from time to time. Yeah, I am a sellout. That's all um, Here we go. Uh, so that's it for Discord. So we're going to jump into Twitch and YouTube. I see all the questions. I'm backtracking. Uh, if you want to throw your questions in again late at the lower portion or new, uh, I'll be able to see it easier. That's fine. Uh, for those of you w- listening to this, we are on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash crash the pond and twitch.tv slash crash pond where you can watch us live. Uh, typically Mondays at 7 PM. Now it's all over the place. We're kind of varying when, when games are happening, but, um, today is a Tuesday and we're doing it at 7 PM. But if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. It helps more than you can imagine. Um, and you can be just like Dan Grimshaw, who resubbed with Prime for the for 22 months. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, if you want to also like and subscribe to our uh, channel on YouTube, uh, trying to really bump up those subscribers. So if you're listening to this on your podcast services, watch this on Twitch. However you want to watch this, if you're watching this uh, after the fact on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel over there. So Transex Xerox uh, said, why do the Ducks continue? continue to show up only against good teams so i would actually push back on that did, did they show up against vegas did i miss that, that part that was what i was gonna say i don't know if they've actually showed up they've gotten results against good teams if you want to put it that way because against calgary they also were able to get into overtime and, and yeah, put edmonton. together a result edmonton same thing but if you're looking at the five on five numbers really the only teams i'm looking at this now uh per evolving hockey uh, they had a 61% expected goals, four percentage. The last time, uh, that was the last time they were over 50%. That came against Montreal. A good they... team. <laughs> wow. Uh, and the time before that happened against Chicago at 57%. Mm-hmm. And then Detroit at 51% and the Islanders at 52%. That's it. Also hilarious. Want to know what the worst Expected goals four percentage for the Ducks was this season, like seven percent. No, higher. Nine percent. No, higher. Thirteen percent. Nineteen percent. Do you oh, want to wow. guess the team? Uh, the Sharks. Yes. Oh wow, that was just such a bad game. Well, yeah, that uh, sounds about right. That game, I remember that game, and I remember thinking at the time that this was the worst game they played. Well, that was and, oh that boy. was the that was was that in the phase where we thought where we were thinking, okay, they've been bad to start, but let's see no, how they play against no, no, these no. teams. Nope, nope, that was well after that. That that was when we thought, oh, this I think it was right before Thanksgiving, or no, it was okay. December, December 9th. Um, oh, okay. and that was oh, when we thought yeah. if they're gonna fire Aikens, it's gonna be now. It was right before they were leaving for the Ottawa Montreal Ottawa Toronto Montreal trip. So that's what that was. Um, all right. Matt in our YouTube chat said, I know it's super early, but when do we get the draft analysts on the pod? Last year, Mitch Brown, Mitch Brown was amazing, and I love getting hyped uh-huh. about potential prospects, especially in a season like this one. Yeah, well, that's a great question. And Maybe I think we that... should try to set aside a podcast to talk to Mitch Brown in the upcoming couple weeks about yeah. some of the prospects and how they're doing. So a peel back behind the curtain is that it's kind of difficult to get 
uh, for us to do guests during the season because we want to give you guys the breakdown of what's going on with the team week in and week out. And so we try to stay on top of that. But in a season like this where, you know, there's not nearly as much going on, I think it may be more appropriate to maybe just set aside an episode to have a guest as opposed to do a regular show or maybe do a guest episode on top of a regular show. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a great call. We'll definitely have draft people on again this year, though. Do not worry. Uh, we will have you covered one way or the other. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to try to get Mitch on again. He was absolutely fantastic last season. Yeah. Um, Dusko said, question, will the NHL ever do the lottery live again on television? It makes me sick that we don't know what's going on in the back of these things. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. It's yeah. It's the NHL. They hate fun. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Unless it's uh, well, an outdoor well, game in a baseball stadium between Chicago and Boston. Was it Boston. the Matthews draft or was it the McDavid draft? I think it was the McDavid draft when they did it live and they showed the balls coming out. And it was something along the lines of like the one that was the next closest was Matthew or was uh, was Toronto or something Sorry, like that. I was it was like there. insane. Yeah. Um. All right, and then the Puff said, who is the next Ducks head coach? Great question. Uh, still don't really know. <laughs> we still don't really have a list of candidates. That's, yeah. uh, I mean, I know who Jake wants, mm-hmm. and that would be one Andrew Brunette. Yep, yep, exactly. And maybe that will be the case. We'll see. Yep. Um, SSYJRR from Twitch says, do you think the Ducks will trade Colm to our Shattenkirk? Uh, I think Shattenkirk is definitely gone. I think it just makes no sense to to keep him around. I don't know if they will trade Comtois. I think he's I think he's sticking around. I don't know. I think he sticks around, but I think maybe he's moved in the off season. What what if Shattenkirk is tr- is kept and Comtois is traded? Yeah. Uh, the hardcore Luchador said this is going to get hate, but would you trade Zegers and the first? I think an additional first round pick for Connor Bedard. Ooh, wow. Probably yes. I think you have to. I think you have to. Connor Bedard is looking like a generational talent. And as great as Trevor Zegers is, and as, you know, helpful as that first rounder may be, uh, Connor Bedard changes everything about your franchise's trajectory. I feel like it's, it sucks to say that if you, you know, if you, it sucks to hear that if you're a fan of the team, but would you like, trade number two or number three overall and Zegers for Bedard? Ooh, that's a knowing, great question. knowing what we know about the current draft and how good the number two and number three picks are going to be. They're going to be great, but Connor Bedard is still in a category of his own in this draft from, from what I'm seeing, but is having Zegers and number two and or number three. And that's the issue. I think at that point, you probably don't do it. Because yeah. Adam Fantilli plus Trevor Zegras is fantastic. Yep. So I think uh, I think you don't do it at that point. Yep. M. Young said, at what point uh, do you guys think uh, we'll finally call up someone from the goals slash sign Grimaldi, um, whether that's Regenda or Gil <laughs> How Perot. are we still talking about Rocco Grimaldi? I think it's We're just bring- halfway through the season. I think it's just kind of looking at the goals and looking for players to call up. Like, and he's kind of says like, what more do you need to see from Magna, Carrick, Leeson, et cetera. Also same with the defense on Hellison with the season loss. Why not give our prospects a chance now? I mean, that's a, that's a fair question. Um, I think for, the issue is I pounding the table there, but I think the issue is that the goals have not played well. And so the, the I, goals have been bad. And those guys outside of Grimaldi have not really put up points. So it's just like, I don't think that, Pat Verbeek is looking to reward that. I think yeah. if those guys were playing well, then he would be 
fully willing to bring them up, but that's just that's just not the case here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, Ray Gonzalez in our YouTube chat said, uh, just offensively, do you think Aiken's system, if played 100% to what he is trying to do, can win NHL games? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. No. Yep. Uh, I think that is going to do it for us. Okay. Well, that that would that went by fast. I do have a yeah. question for you. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. What do you think about the Hurricanes wearing red helmets with their away jerseys? Sure. Wow, I would. I was expecting a stronger reaction there. Why? I think it's cool. Like it's such a basic thing, but it just. Why not do that more often? Swap swap things around. Well, I'm also of the opinion of do whatever the hell you want with your jerseys. Teams should not be beholden to yeah. having to wear white on the road and dark at home. Teams yeah. should have a home jersey and a clash jersey. Where if two teams wear red, then the away team wears their clash jersey. Uh. But if you have a red and a blue team, they can both wear their red and their blue, and you can tell which team's which. I I agree. Wow, that yeah. might be your best take. I mean, it's just how it's how soccer is. You've had some rough takes, I, but that stop. that might be your best take. And then you can have a third jersey also that you kind of sprinkle in here and there as home games. Yeah, I think each team should have four jerseys. Go full NBA. Have a retro jersey. Teams should be able to have as many jerseys as they want. Yeah. There yeah, shouldn't be I, a limit on it. Just let them do whatever. I, oh, the Puff also asks, Kling, does Klingberg get the Ducks a first? Maybe. Probably yeah, un, still. Un, unknown, but probably. Name brand. Mm-hmm. Name, I mean, Ben Chirac got a first, for crying out loud. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the, the red helmet with the white jersey looks great. And and that should be done more often. It it's a much better result than last year where the, the Hurricanes, I think, wore black pants with their red jersey or something like that. They did some kind of weird swap that was just not needed. But be creative. This is just like such a niche comment. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's pretty noteworthy. Such a niche comment. It's um, it's it's not that niche. It it's a little bit niche. Not on this podcast. I think it's very just par for the course. Yeah, that's fair. Um, there was something that popped up in our Discord recently about jerseys, and now I can't remember it all. It had to do with the Ducks, but I don't know. Okay, well that's 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 helpful. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, did you enjoy Flashback very... Friday? As I see you rocking the the eggplant and jade cap. Oh, sore spot. A <laughs> little bit. Very sore spot. Jake was holding out hope that uh, that the Ducks were going to wear no, eggplant. No, 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 no. So let me let me provide my case. It was originally labeled Throwback Night. Yeah, I know. And they changed it to be Flashback Friday. And yes. the in arena graphics, we we had people on the inside. Our good oh. friend Lou was sending us videos. Mm-hmm. The in arena graphics that they were showing on the screen were all the Mighty Ducks logo. Oh. All on the Jumbotron. Wow. In their highlight packets, uh, packages and look like that. And it's like, why would you, like, you have two jerseys this year. Yeah. That have the Mighty Ducks logo. Like, if for whatever reason Nashville didn't, or yeah, if Nashville didn't want to bring their white, or their, their home jersey for the road trip and we'll have another set. And so the Ducks wouldn't wear the, the the reverse retro for that game as a result of that. You could still wear the orange jersey that has the Mighty Ducks logo. Like, 
it, like the fact that they just wore the regular home jersey for Flashback Friday. Oh, <laughs> it grinded my gears. I could just see it on your face. This this is some deeply held resentment. You had to bring it up. Well, I think to. it's pertinent because I think at some point, how many more seasons before we get an eggplant and jade jersey? Next just year. like a, just like as an alternate. Well, next year I think there's going to be one for the 30th anniversary, or like I a guess. classic, yeah, like a throwback jersey is what I meant. I think next season. Yeah, it has to happen. Should have happened. Should have happened on, on Throwback Night slash Flashback Friday slash Throwback Thursday. Yeah, but, it seems like the only thing that they really cared about with Flashback Friday was getting the Friends references in, <laughs> which is just not the. That's just not the show. That's not the show to do that. There is one show where you can't do that. What show? Which which we will not. Uh, what show? And that would be Seinfeld. Ugh. That Ugh. would be the popular move. I mean, Friends is legitimately one of the most popular shows in the history of television. <laughs> but is it as good as Seinfeld, though? And the answer to that is no. I've watched all of Friends. I have not watched all of Seinfeld. Anyway, on that note, we should probably get out of here. We should We should definitely get out of here. Well, wishing everyone a great and uh, prosperous Happy New Year. And if you want to help us keep this podcast going well into 2023 and beyond, there's a couple of really easy ways to do that. The number one way is to check out our Patreon. Uh, go to patreon.com slash crash the pond. And you have two options. You can pledge $1 a month. $1 and you get access to our uh, patrons only Discord server where you get to chat and interact with other diehard Ducks fans. It's a lot of fun. It's not limited to hockey talk, though. Um, there's a food channel with plenty of hot food takes. There's a general chat. There's a fantasy football chat. There's just everything. And it's just a fun little community. And I really do think, especially if you're someone that lives in an area where you know there's not a lot of Ducks fans, you don't live in, in the Anaheim area, then this is for you, uh, the, the, the Discord server. But... You can, you can step it up another notch, and for $5 a month, you, you get access to the server still, and you get access to two bonus episodes uh, where we go more in-depth on the rest of the league. Uh, we go more in-depth on the, the Ducks themselves, uh, maybe player grades, rankings, things of that nature. A lot of We did a prospect ranking recently, so go check that out. That's at patreon.com slash crash the pond, but if you don't want to pledge any any Money monthly, that's totally fine. Uh, just go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review, and uh, we greatly appreciate that. That helps the show climb up the charts and helps us grow uh, as much as we can here. You can also check us out on Spotify, leave us a rating there. Go to YouTube, subscribe there. We're really trying to pump up the YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Check out our website, crashthepond.com. Check out the Sporting Tribune. We've got the uh, articles going up there every week thesportingtribune.com. Uh, we're trying to give people as much Ducks written content as we can. Find us on Twitter. Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91, and I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. So on that note, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.